Welcome to the Sports by Fry podcast channel. Thank you for tuning in. After, once again, a long hiatus, I am back. Um, I have no excuses as to why I haven't been putting out podcasts and YouTube videos. I've just, to be honest, been really lazy. So, apologies, but I'm not going to dwell on the past. I'm here to talk about the future. And I've got some big things planned for Sports by Fry. I'm going to be back into, I know I've said this before, but I mean it this time, I'm going to get back into... Regular posts, going to try and do at least two podcasts a week with a YouTube video as well. Uh, If you're not following Sports by Fry on YouTube, you can definitely subscribe to the channel because a new episode will be dropping on Friday. Um, I'm going to try and make it a regular weekly occurrence, get at least one video up on Fridays. So, yep, make sure you subscribe. Um, I have exciting news on the podcast front as well. You can now get the Sports by Fry podcast on a bunch of of different platforms you can get it on stitcher and finally after way too much hassle you can find it on spotify as well so pretty exciting um like i said i've got a few things in the works that i've been slowly pretending to work on and putting off but finally uh, i'm going to take some action so today's podcast is going to begin right now Now, I haven't really touched on a lot of the off-season AFL player movement, so before I dive into the big trending sports, I just want to quickly talk about Fremantle's uh, trade period because, let's be honest, this could be a trade period that reshapes the franchise that has let me down for my 25 years on this earth. Um, I, I feel really weird about where the Dockers stand. I don't know if I liked the moves at first. I felt a bit... Yeah, I didn't really know how to define it, but it felt a bit strange to actually potentially have landed two really good forwards in Rory Lobb and Jesse Hogan. I know that Rory Lobb is technically a ruckman, but if Ross Lyon knows what he's doing, he'll play him a bit more um, up forward than the Giants did, I reckon. I think he could be a perfect, you know, second pinch hitter in the ruck, especially for someone like Aaron Sanderlands, who's, let's be honest, his days are numbered. Even Sean Darcy, he's built in a pretty similar mould to Aaron Sanderlands. He's not really an agile type of ruckman. They're more, you know, big bulldoze type of cats. So if we could get Rory Lobb and use his athleticism to win a few hitouts, then, yeah, hopefully that will uh, sort out our ruck issues. And I really, really didn't want to lose Lockie Neal. But, you know, to land some big fish, we had to give something up. So, uh, yeah, Lockie Neal will be great in Brisbane. I think we've got enough young midfielders to cover his losses. But like I said, you know, I think he led the league in disposals in 2016 when Fifey went down. And then I'm sure he's been up near the uh, top of the leader board in the last two seasons. So, yeah, sorry to see Lockie Neal go. But, you know, it might have come at a uh, necessary cost if we finally landed a couple of forwards that can kick a bag. Um, I Actually, the most surprising thing throughout the trade period for Fremantle and the thing that I was actually the most impressed with is even though we had pick five and pick six in our hands at some point in time and we did a bunch of pick shuffling we actually still managed to have a first rounder and I think from memory we've still got three picks inside the top 50 going into the draft I know that we had obviously our first rounder which was like pick five or six after the Tom Lynch compo but we actually managed to I think with the exception of that pick five, we had like pick 80. So Peter Bell actually managed to build a decent draft hand and land these two big stars. And even guys like Travis Collier and Reese Conker, who, let's be honest, won't be setting the world on fire, but they're nice little depth pieces. You know, they might not be in our best 22, but they've got 
quite a few years on an AFL list under their belt, so it can help our young budding stars. Hopefully, um, they can play themselves into form and be part of our best 22. I think with our first pick, um, I think from memory, pick 14 is the one that Frio has. Hopefully, we can try and get a bit of a running defender type. I think Stephen Hill off the halfback flank would be a good coaching move, but he, if healthy on the wing, is pretty unstoppable. So it'd be nice to get a good rebounding defender type, someone to compliment Nate Wilson on the other side. If not, then I think a key positioner down back is also a must. They, there's not really anyone hovering around that pick 14 mark, so we might have to uh, be forced to take someone a little bit later than expected. Um, speaking of the AFL draft, I released on Monday my first edition of the 23 pick mock. I stuffed that sentence up. Let me start again. I released my first mock draft um, covering the first 23 picks of the draft, which essentially is the first round, including the Eagles compo pick. So I think from memory, I had Frio landing Ian Hill, which would be awesome if he could get a third Hill, uh, the cousin of Stephen and Brad on our list. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I think the draft will be shaped really by what Port Adelaide and Adelaide do. They could kind of use their picks that they've accumulated to move up maybe even inside the top three and snag one of these South Australian stars in Jack Lukosius or Isaac Rankin. I know I've gone way off topic. I was meant to be talking about Frio's off-season, but sue me. It's my podcast. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I think Adelaide is the most likely to jump up. Port move their way or move themselves all the way up to pick five. So they might even be happy to just accept whoever's left over if they could get even Connor Rosie. Rose, I think it's Rosie. Um, he's another Adelaide stud who will go pretty early in the draft. So if you want to check out um, the first 23 picks, you can check out that piece at sportsbyferrite.com. Um, yeah, like I said, though, I feel feel weird about Fremantle's trade period, but I think it's because we might have actually done something right. And I'm, I'm not used to the Fremantle Dockers doing something right in the offseason. I'm used to us landing Adam McPhee and Mark Johnson and Chris Tarrant. So hopefully we've turned a corner, but it's way too early to tell. I think Jesse Hogan could emerge as... I don't want to say it, but I'm going to. Is Pavlich's heir apparent? And if he could just stay on the park, then it seems like we should win a few more games than last year, which is probably necessary for Ross to keep his job. If we don't take a step forward, I think he's probably going to get shown the door. Anyway, enough about the footy. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that on other podcasts, especially in the lead-up to the AFL draft. But finally, after a long, long off-season, basketball is back. I'm so glad that NBA is back in my life. I have something to do when I get home from work. I just sit on the couch from about 7 o'clock until midnight and then pass out after watching way too much basketball. It's a, uh, it's a bad spiral to be in, but uh, I'm quite content. Speaking of basketball, JLo and I actually managed to get our first NBA game in of the season on Monday night. We went downstairs and watched the Toronto Raptors versus Kemba Walker and the Charlotte Hornets, which as you probably expect, was a bit of a whitewash from Toronto's perspective. But it was very interesting to see how the new-look Raptors went about their business. I've watched them a little bit against Boston um, earlier in the week, but watching them firsthand against Charlotte made me realise that Masai Ujiri probably did make the right move in trading for Kawhi Leonard. I know it's four, five games into the season, but he automatically just looks like a better upgrade. He's a better defender. He's such, yeah, he's just better all around. It seems like they've got a better version of DeMar Rosen to complement their other list. And Danny Green probably might be the most underrated piece in that trade. He's a great shooter, great defender, 
Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a few possessions where he just locked down. It was probably, let's be honest, Kemba or Jeremy Lamb, who surprised me that he's still on the Charlotte Hornets. It seems like he's been there forever. But yeah, Danny Green was pretty good. And Norman Powell actually surprised me as well. He had a couple of nice dunks. He was running around, playing good D, taking a couple of shots. So if they've got these athletic wings that Toronto, that is, they could really challenge Boston. I think that's where Boston's strength lies because, let's be honest, they're probably the best team out east at the moment. They're so deep with Tatum and Brown and Haywood. So there's not many teams that can cover those three and then obviously you have to worry about Kyrie and Horford and the works. So, yeah, I, I think that Toronto's got the list capable of maybe not taking down Boston but definitely taking a fight to them. I know where the two Boston and Toronto team played a total of like eight games so far this year. So it's way too early to start talking about playoffs and potential Eastern Finals matchups. But I'm going to do it anyway. Toronto looks legit. So let's let's see what they've got. I think, I think they can uh, put a winning formula in place and hopefully keep Kawhi. But if I was a betting man, I still think Kawhi bounces at the end of the year after he spends a Toronto winter north of the border, then don't don't blame him for jumping to the LA Clippers or the LA Lakers in the offseason and chasing some sunny states. Kawhi isn't the only one capturing headlines early on, though. A young man by the name of Trey Young is starting to make a bit of a name for himself in the NBA circles. He's obviously blew up a little bit last year in college when he led the league, or led the nation, sorry, in scoring and assists. Um, I unfortunately watched him torch my Cavs for a brief period the other night. I haven't watched... <laughs> much Cleveland basketball this year. As I say that, the game against the Nets is on in the background, and I think we're down... Oh, no, they just scored again. We're down by 23, so there's a reason I haven't watched much Cleveland basketball so far. But I did watch Trey Young for a period of time, and, man, he looks really, really good. He might actually... I think J-Lo said this might actually be a quicker shooter than Steph Curry. Very quick release. But I think it's his passing that might help him become a really good player, especially if he struggles with some of his scoring. A few times throughout the college um, season last year, we saw him struggle a little bit. It's going to happen, though. He's still young. He's very small and light of frame, so he's going to get bulldozed and bullied a little bit, especially when he's driving the paint. So I expect him to use his passing as a bit more of a weapon to you know, create a bit of separation off the defender so that he can have some room to knock down those shots. But, yeah, man, he looked bloody impressive the other night. 35 points and 11 assists. He had. Um, Not many rookies have had stat lines like that, but there's some pretty illustrious names on the list. I had a look earlier to see which rookies had put up such a stat line. Um, LeBron was on the list. Steph Curry did it twice in his rookie year. Um, Who else was there? Jason Kidd, Oscar Robertson, of course. But (laughs) what actually surprised me was to see that Jordan put up 35 and at least 35 points and 10 assists in four games during his rookie year. So... All those people out there who are still big LeBron fans and petitioning for him to be the GOAT, he might be by the time it's said and done, but just remember, Jordan's got some stupid numbers under his belt. Trey Young wasn't the only uh, NBA player to put up some big numbers early in the season. We've seen some impressive stat lines, but Blakey Griffin last night became the first player to top 50. New career high for Griffin, dropping a 50-burger on the Sixers in an overtime win. Pretty awesome game, especially considering Ben Simmons wasn't playing and Andre Drummond got ejected. Um, yeah, Blakey Griffin looked really good. Got the job done for Detroit. Well done, my friend. First Piston to score 50 since 2006. Now, trivia time. Who was 
the last Pistons to score 2006. So I'll give you the answer right away. Think back to the dominant Detroit teams in the early 21st century. Guys like Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, and Rip Hamilton. Uh, the game where the Pistons scored 50 points was a triple overtime game against the New York Knicks, which they lost, actually. And it was Rip Hamilton who, in 55 minutes, scored 51 points. And funnily enough, he only took one three, and he made one three. So a very different league that we play in. I'm sure Blake, his first shot was probably a three the other night. But the Detroit Pistons are surprisingly off to a little bit of a hot start. I remember last year, I think it was fueled a little bit by Drummond's start to the year. He had some, from memory, monstrous rebounding games. But yeah, Detroit as a team's actually been pretty solid to start the year. They are, from memory, 3-0. and I don't know if they can maintain it. I did say they'd make the playoffs when I was thinking about it and doing my uh, preview earlier in the season, uh, earlier before the season, sorry. So yeah, I think Detroit's they could make some noise, but God, the only thing that will slow them down is if they're not healthy. So hopefully Blake can stay on the court and Reggie Jackson as well, and they can make a bit of noise. I don't mind Detroit. i got a little bit of a soft spot for them. Had some good battles throughout the playoffs earlier in LeBron's career. So it'd be nice to see uh, the Pistons get back to relevance, especially after they've just hovered around 500 for what seems like a decade. The other big talking point from the first eight, nine days in the NBA season, actually probably the biggest talking point, let's be honest, was the spat slash brawl between the Rockets and the Lakers the other night in LeBron James's first game at Staples Center as a Los Angeles Laker. Weird game, weird, weird game. But yeah, Brandon Ingram eventually pushed James Harden, which led to him getting teched up. And then Rondo and Chris Paul had words and all hell broke loose and punches were thrown. Suspensions were handed out. I don't really know how those guys only got suspended for a maximum of four games. I think the last time a brawl like that broke out was when Melo was involved. And from memory, he was canned for like a dozen games or something. I thought Ingram would get at least twice the amount he got. He ended with four-game suspension because after the uh, incident with Harden, he was actually moved away from where all the drama was going down. And then he came running in, throwing wild haymakers. So surely trying to instigate the fight again would lead to a hefty suspension but whatever I'm not running the NBA so four three and two games with the suspensions handed down to Ingram Chris Paul and Rondo respectively it'd be interesting to see if uh, any more brawls like this break out like I said the last one was back when Melo I think he was still on the nuggets when it happened so these things are pretty rare I don't expect it to have a big impact on the league or anything like that but after those guys were eventually ejected, the Houston went on to get the W, leaving the Lakers winless. And at the moment, they're still sitting at 0 at 3. Now, once again, it is eight days into the NBA season, but they look pretty bad on defense. They do look good on offense. They're running around, moving the ball a lot. Rondo, uh, sorry, Lonzo Ball actually looks like a good point guard to play alongside LeBron. He doesn't, the ball doesn't stick in his hands a lot. He swings it around pretty quickly. Um, obviously, he needs to figure out his shit with his jump shot before he can be considered as a uh, elite point guard. But I, th- I have faith. I think he's going to be okay. I drafted him in one of my fantasy teams, so I'm going to uh, ride or die with Lonzo Ball this year, see how we go. A few other bits and pieces, obviously, have occurred over the last week or so. The Denver Nuggets, hot start, especially on defense. I didn't really expect him to start the year this hot on defense. I wrote an article Tuesday about um, some things that I've overreacted to 
from the first week of the NBA season. Once again, you can check it out at sportsbyfry.com. But, yeah, the Nuggets looked really good on defense the first three games, especially against the Golden State Warriors, which didn't really surprise me. I tipped the Nuggets to finish inside the top four in the West and win 50-plus games. So if they're going to do that, they need to protect home court and beat teams like Golden State when they come to town. Um, but, yeah, they're awesome defensive start. I think from memory in their first three games, they had the best defensive efficiency in the league. And last year they were hovering around the, I don't know, the low 20s. So, yeah, the Nuggets figure out their defense. That could really push them up the, uh, up the standings. I think Paul Millsap being healthy and Gary Harris being back in the lineup obviously improves them from a defensive standpoint. So if those two can stay healthy in particular, then these uh, defensive efficiency numbers might not be a flash in the pan. I don't want to overreact or talk too much about the first week of basketball. I've covered most of the big stories. Um, there's going to be a new NBA story trending every night, so there'll be plenty of basketball to talk about throughout the entire season. I'm going to quickly touch on the NFL. Some pretty big uh, trades could be on the horizon. The trade deadline for the NFL comes up next Tuesday from memory, or Monday. It's on the 30th of October, so you do the math. I'm pretty sure it's Tuesday, but... The Dallas Cowboys got in on the trade action by trading for Amari Cooper already. Um, I did, once again, another article talking about some potential trade ideas, and one of them was Adam... Oh, no, I'm reading the wrong name. Amari Cooper going to the Dallas Cowboys because the Dallas just clearly needs someone who can catch balls. They have no good receivers. Cole Beasley has been forced to play as a number one receiver, and to his credit, he's done well, but... With a quarterback like Dak Prescott, who doesn't really have the best arm in the league, you need someone like Amari Cooper to you know, kind of make him stand out and make him look a little bit better than he probably is as a passer. We've seen, especially last week, how he uh, can use his legs to get around. So hopefully, if you can get Amari on the field and he can catch a few passes, then Dak Prescott can start to find his mojo and Dallas can start to trend uh, upwards once again. Oakland... I don't really understand what John Gruden's doing. It seems like he obviously has his own blueprint for the franchise after trading away Khalil Mack and now Amari Cooper. He's got three first-round picks in next year's draft. And while that sounds great and looks good on paper, that doesn't necessarily transfer, transfer translate into three stars. You know, I'm sure everyone remembers some of the draft failures from their teams in the past. So just because you got the picks doesn't mean you're going to hit on them. Um, I know that Amari Cooper has had a bit of a troubled time in Oakland, so this divorce was probably always going to happen. Still, I think that Oakland probably could have doubled down with their roster. Like, There's no reason why John Gruden couldn't have kept Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper and then traded them in the offseason for these picks. But anyway, I'm not running the franchise. Power to you. It's your club. You can do what you want, John Gruden, but I don't think you're doing it well. Um, some other big names who could be moved around the trade deadline, Devontae Parker from the Dolphins. I think now that, what's his name, Albert Wilson. I think it's Albert Wilson. Apologies if it's not. The other wide receiver in Miami. From memory, he's just been sent to IR, so Devontae Parker might not be on the block now. Um, Larry Fitzgerald is another name being floated around. Please send Larry Fitzgerald to a playoff contender. He doesn't deserve to rot the one and six Cardinals for the rest of the season. It probably is going to be his last season, if not one of his last. So let him just team up with Brady or, I don't know, Drew Brees or someone so that he can finally get a Super Bowl ring. That's If I, if I could wish one thing, obviously 
It would be for the Panthers to win the Super Bowl. But if, I'll take it back. If I could wish for two things this year, it would be for them to win it all and for Larry Fitzgerald, if obviously the Panthers didn't go all the way, it would be for Fitz to get a ring. So hopefully he can get his way out of Arizona before the deadline. Uh, I'm not too hopeful, but... You know, stranger things have happened. Patrick Peterson, one of his star teammates, has also requested a trade. So Arizona could be busy closer to the deadline. Le'Veon Bell is another big player who, let's be honest, no one knows what's going on with him. He's turned down nearly $7 million in game checks already this season from sitting on the sidelines, and he's complaining about not being paid enough. So... I don't know. I don't really understand how Philadelphia... Uh, sorry, how Pittsburgh's going to resolve this issue. Maybe they could trade Le'Veon Bell to Philadelphia. After Jay Ajayi went down, they've clearly been struggling to find a running game. And to be honest, the Eagles as a whole have been struggling in my power rankings that will probably go out tomorrow. I've got them going down quite a lot from the last ones. I think they were third in my last power rankings. So, yeah, in the 40% power rankings, they've definitely plummeted, along with, actually, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm going to talk a little bit about both those teams in a minute. But Bell could be, you know, a real difference maker for the Eagles. They're suffering from a textbook Super Bowl hangover. And if they want to live up to their championship aspirations for this season, then, you know, swinging for the fences and getting Le'Veon Bell for 10 games and then letting him walk to try and chase his big paycheck, not the stupidest idea. Taking a quick step back, talking about the Eagles and the Jaguars, they kick off NFL Sunday this week by playing in London. Second straight week, we've got a London game. And to be honest, this game could be the game of the round. Both these teams really, really need to win. Jacksonville has not looked impressive. Who knew? Blake Bortles actually is not a good quarterback. It still baffles me why they signed him to an extension, but whatever. I digress. They Both squads are sitting below 500, and if they get another loss, the playoffs are definitely in doubt. The Jags and Eagles are lucky that the two divisions they play in are pretty shithouse, so no one's really running away with a playoff berth at the moment, and there's still plenty of time for them to refine their mojo, but... Yeah, clock's ticking. If they don't find it soon, there could be uh, trouble in paradise for sure. There are a few other decent games on Sunday. My Panthers go up against the dominant Baltimore Ravens defense, who nearly snuck out a wing against the Saints on the weekend. Just gone. Um, interesting game. I'd be very, very intrigued to see how Carolina goes about their business in this one. They've been such a weird team so far this year. Somehow we've managed to get our way to 4-2, and two, but... I'll be honest, we have not deserved it. We, against the Eagles, were down by 17 points and then we played one good quarter of football and managed to claw out a win. So it's not really the recipe for long-term success. Hopefully we can find a bit of mojo and take care of business against Baltimore. I don't have a lot of confidence against this dominant defense and it seems like you know we're due for a loss. We've managed to... You know, that 63-yard field goal that we hit earlier this season and then this obvious come back against the Eagles. They're pretty fluky wins, I'll be honest. I think that Baltimore will bring us back down to earth this week. Sunday night, we got the Saints squaring off against the Vikings. Huge game. I think the Vikes are probably a little bit better than their record suggests. That shithouse loss to Buffalo made things look a little bit worse than it actually was. Their defense and their running game also through the first month of the season were pretty much non-existent, but they're slowly starting to find their mojo, especially without Delvin Cook. So that's worth noting could be uh could be in for another step up when he gets healthy the saints arguably the second best team in the nfc probably the second best team in the nfc behind the rams at the moment um could be another potential playoff preview i had the vikes 
from memory, I tipped them to win it all. And I think I had them going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. So hopefully the Vikings can get up and the Chiefs can get up again. And then my uh, preseason picks will be looking a little bit nicer. If you don't get enough football in on Sunday, that's all right. We've got a blockbuster for you on Monday night. You can strap yourself in for a fantastic match. This is definitely must-watch football because the Buffalo Bills are hosting the New England Patriots. So in other words, this shit is going to get ugly. Tom Brady could throw for nine touchdowns in this one. I don't have any faith in Buffalo. I don't know how they've won two games. In fact, if they win four games, Sean McDermott deserves coach of the year, in my opinion. It's a mystery to me. They've got guys like Nathan Peterman and Josh Allen, and I think I'm probably going to butcher his name, but I think it's Derek Anderson playing quarterback. So yeah, their offense is not great. New England will probably go in and touch them up as well. So big slate of games this week. We're about halfway through the season, we know some of the pretenders, we know some of the contenders, and we've got a few matchups between some big dogs this week, so we might learn just who's the real deal after Sunday. All right, before I wrap things up, it's birthday shout-out time. Big list of birthdays today. Um, quite a few athletes and quite a few non-athletes. So here we go. Nikola Vucevic and Jalen Brown are the two NBAers with birthdays today, so happy birthday to the two of them. Jalen Ramsey, one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL for the Jags, celebrates his 22nd. He's only 22. Damn, he's going to be a freak. I love Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Happy 22nd birthday to you, Jalen. Wayne Rooney celebrates turning 33 today. Uh, So happy birthday to big Wayne. There's a few, like I said, uh, non-athletes who deserve recognition. First one goes out to big dog PewDiePie. A bit a big fan of PewDiePie's from the early days. So happy birthday, mate. Also to Lincoln Lewis, back home. Happy birthday, my friend. And the big man finally gets his recognition. Happy birthday to Malcolm Turnbull. And Drake, I guess. I should probably give Drake a happy birthday as well. That's going to do it for another Sports by Fry episode. Make sure if you're listening on iTunes, you give a rating and review. If you're listening on Spotify or Stitcher or wherever, subscribe for future episodes. Hit up the YouTube channel. New episode dropping on Friday. Hope you enjoyed this one, though. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, peace. Here we fucking go. I'm back.